welcome to another episode of 12 million i am darren jenkins i'm akbar Majid. and we are fortunate today enough to have somebody who i'm i am super excited to talk to about um karen atia journalist from the washington post um who writes on issues relating to race gender and international politics with a special interest in africa uh she was the winner of the 2019 George Polk Award and also chosen in the 2019 Journalist of the Year by National Association of Black Journalists. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm like, I'm mad honored. Mad, mad honored. Oh, no, thank y'all for having me. I was super excited when they told me y'all were interested in, you know, chopping it up with me today. So, So I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, definitely. So welcome. So I was I was kind of doing the research and I looked at your Twitter and I see that you're Ghanaian, Nigerian and Texan. Mm. So how does that all work, especially as it relates to your your journey to become a journalist? Absolutely. Um, first of all, yeah, I was I was born in Texas. And even when you just kind of read that back out loud to me, I'm like, yeah, it's true. Texas, we kind of act like we're our, we're our own country, right? So it's like I feel like you know, just just growing up, um, growing up in Texas. Um, my mother is um, originally from Nigeria. My father's Ghanaian, and growing up in kind of like a small-ish suburb of, of Dallas, Texas. I mean, in many ways, like I feel like my my upbringing was like in two different worlds at once, like all the time, right? Like, so growing up in, in a state which is, you know, pretty, like, you know, I grew up with uh, uh, my mom loving the Dallas Cowboys and loving, like, Larry the Cable Guy and growing up in this, like, very kind of conservative state in a place where I was often, like, the only um, Black person in, in my school and we were uh, one of the few black families in our suburb at the time. Um, growing up in, in 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 kind of black white world, and then growing up in America Africa world, and I was often like really struck by feeling like I didn't fit in anywhere quite neatly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what got me really interested, particularly in, um, you know, I just grew up, I, I, I honestly, I think my career and being interested in, in the things that I write about now is just out of curiosity of being like, who am I? Where do I come from? Why did I not learn? I remember in school asking, you know, why, why, my white teachers like, hey, when are we getting to the African history portion of the world mm. history class and she was like oh yeah 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 we'll get to it we never got to it right. okay right and and so i think as a as a young kid um i was just like why am i not learning about who i am as as an african as a black person why am i not learning about this history and the politics so I think that's what really kind of spurred me on to be like, all right, I'm getting out of Texas because clearly like I'm not getting these answers mm. here going um, to Northwestern where, you know, they have an excellent program for, for media and, and studies. So, yeah, I think I think growing up here and growing up the, the daughter of, of immigrants who just came here to try to make it and, and assimilate in so many ways, like right. made me really want to say again where do i come from and and who am i and interrogate you know so many of these these 
um, systems that that we're born into, right? Wow. How so? You know, when you're growing up in Texas, how, where did you where did you get the urge to to kind of follow this path to journalism? Because that's you know that's a very like um, specific career set to kind of move into. Yeah, honestly, growing up, um, <laughs> again, like so many other uh, my, my African immigrant like comrades, daughters and sons will of African parents will sympathize. My parents really pushed me to be a lawyer. I didn't have the best math grades, honestly. <laughs> so, right. I hated it. Right. I wasn't I wasn't the best. I wasn't the best uh, math and science student. So it, a doctor was out. So uh, but I just knew I, I loved words and I, I loved history. And um, and I, I I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted. I was interested in like politics and how systems work and how we could use ideas and, and words and imagination to try to make things better. So um, honestly, I don't think it was really actually becoming a, a journalist was something I came to like kind of very like later in my twenties. When I uh, looked at law, I thought about law school, even, you know, was about to take the LSAT. And I just I remember that morning I rolled over in my bed. The alarm was supposed to go off. I was supposed to go take that LSAT. And I looked at the clock. I was like, nope. <laughs> I pulled over and went back to sleep. This isn't my calling. And, <laughs> and uh, that's when I, I, I decided that, um, again, I really wanted to study uh, go back and study like international affairs, global politics, um, that sort of thing. Uh, Were there any particular journalists or writers that inspired you? Or, or, I have to say, um, probably the 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 journalist that inspired me the most, or, or the book um, that inspired me the most, was coming across a book um, in college uh, by the journalist Howard French, um, who was a correspondent for the New York Times, African American yeah. correspondent for the New York Times in um, in Africa, and he wrote this book, uh, A Continent for the Taking, and that just really completely opened my eyes. I mean, two things, again, an African-American journalist going back uh, to the, to the motherland and, and describing his, his time and, and his uh, encounters. And it was, I just never really, and this is supposed to be my, my parents' home continent, right? Like, Mm. um, and I felt more like, first of all, okay, here's a model of, of a journalist, of a black journalist who is a foreign correspondent. Um, right. And who like you grow up. Right. And you, you see all these movies and books about white guys going around and and exploring these quote unquote exotic places and, and having these adventures and, and being um, the ones to write dispatches and tell us about the world. And I think for me, it was one of the first times where I was like, oh, wow, it's possible to be a black journalist and to embark on this mm. sense of, I won't say discovery because no place is people anywhere. There's people already been there. There's nothing to discover, but rather um, that it was possible to, to go out and, and report and, and to understand and help others understand um, mm. the world better. No, I definitely can relate to that. I mean, I, I remember once in um, grad school, I had the opportunity to meet um, Ivan Van Sertima, oh. and oh. who came to speak. And, you know, and afterwards was able to, to 
to sit down and have dinner with him. But you, like you said, to see this this black man who's traveling the world almost like this modern day, you know, Indiana Jones who yeah. who speaks mm-hmm. about going into British museums, Egyptian museums, finding stuff. So I definitely could cannot mm-hmm. just stay in that. Yeah, and like I said on Twitter yesterday, I, I'm I'm of the '90s kid generation that like grew up on like Carmen San Diego, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> and, like, oh my God, yes, I remember that. you know that like it is possible for us and for women too, um, for us to be able to go out and and be in the world and experience and and through our lens, right? right. Like not through the white lens, like mm. through through our our lens and centering ourselves and our senses, uh, what we smell, what we see, what we hear, what we resonate with. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's something that um, we need so much more of uh, today. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think that's kind of the motivation, part of the motivation for us doing this podcast in a lot of ways was, was the, the, you know, our opportunity to, you know, give a give a platform for people of of our color to kind of just share you know what it is that got them where they want to be like you know because we we go through our life so much so much trying to fight our own battles and whatever we sometimes forget that the lessons we learn along the way of those uh, while we're fighting could be useful to other people in their struggle as well. Because, so I think that was kind of part of the motivation of kind of creating this show was to let people share their input, their, their journey. Um, Cause you never know who's out there listening, you know, at least that's how I think about it. And particularly through our lens. And I think that's what you were saying through our right. lens, right. Which is a very distinct and different lens than the majority of stuff that we take in. Right. So is, you know, how do we filter that or from our perspective? Right. <laughs> so often I think we speak from their lens even um, so much. Right. Absolutely. Well, as a, you know, uh, what, you know, as an opinion, you know, I was reading some of your articles last night. And first of all, you're, you, I love the way you write. I, Thank I, you. The, um, I was, I was reading your articles. I was actually also on your Twitter and you're very consistent. Like you're me- you're like how you, uh, can, how you send your message. It's, it's a, it's very, um, you know, it's very honest and very straightforward and very thoughtful. And, um, and some of the topics you cover, I thought were like, are, are very, there, you know, because Texas is a pl- is a polarizing place. So I always wonder, like, how is it that you decide what things to weigh in on? Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a for any writer, any any columnist in particular, in particular for. I mean, it's less so now that we have a digital space and right. and back in the old days um, when it was just a, a print column, you only have so many words, right? Mm. So for us, and I still I still aim for for the most part, um, you know, about eight hundred words. So it means that uh, this is a space that you can't waste. <laughs> and um, I think for me, uh, the way that I think about 
what to to try for is I think kind of first and foremost, um, can I add value to this conversation? Like, mm. can I do something different or something that people aren't really talking about? Um, look, I, I actually, I actually never thought I would be, um, writing from Texas or, or around Texas. And I, you know, back to circle back a little bit to the beginning of the conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a very, um, amazing opportunity, uh, to be able to even rediscover my own home state and, and I'm treating mm-hmm. it that way. And I'm treating Texas even though I grew up here, treating it um, with the same level of interest and curiosity that I would treat any different place that, you know, frankly, has been kind of mythologized, uh, misrepresented in, in many ways. I mean, a lot of it is true. I came back that the politics here are crazy. It was not like this when I, 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 I'm old enough to remember Ann Richards. It was always mm. a conservative place but what is happening at the state level is just like far right like fascist like texas size frito chili pie (laughs) (laughs) i just made everything's big in texas right (laughs) frito chili pie fat of a fascism our state food is chili pie and we just dash some you know some uh authoritarianism in it. Um, and there's a whole story where how I was 12, I actually did meet Greg Abbott when I was like a 12 year old and at my national junior high school honor society induction. Mm. And now here I am trying to, trying to dress him down all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I look at it as, um, and increasingly I'm having to think about this a lot, uh, mm because in some ways this wasn't the plan (laughs) exactly, but I think that it's a huge opportunity because I do believe that Texas and the South are the front lines for liberation in this country. Um, The reason why so much of the state politics are making national news is because these questions about education, these questions about our uh, racial history, questions about immigration, about uh, women's rights, all of it, like it is ground zero in the South and particularly um, in Texas. So, uh, so as a journalist, I mean, in many ways, it's a, it's a treasure trove of stories. I could go to the border. I could go report on, you know, SpaceX, Elon Musk and the environmental and social impacts of having that in, in a Texas town. Um, right now, you know, I'm working on, on stuff around Confederate um, memorials and, and removals here in the state. Um, but particularly, I think as a, as a black woman journalist um, and as uh, someone who comes from an immigrant background, um, it it's really just important that our voices, particularly those who are trying to resist what's happening, um, who are trying to fight for the soul of this country, are highlighted. So what I do in my columns, I try <laughs> to, to at least highlight those people who are fighting um, and who are honestly, in some ways, like are winning. We just don't get to hear as much about right. them because we hear about the Abbots and the Dan Patricks and the DeSantis's, yeah. you know, who are, who are throwing red meat to their bases all the time. But, um, but I think it's our responsibility if we want to balance with the truth is to show that there are people who have been on the ground 
fighting this stuff or yelling the alarm bells for a long time. Right, right. So that's what I try, what I try to do. I'm still, I still feel very brand new in many ways to being almost like a, feel like a national op-ed <laughs> correspondent or something. Um, but no, it's, it's an, uh, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able um, to do that in, in my home state. So how do you balance kind of being a journalist and social media, right? I mean, <laughs> <especially>. <laughs> I'm grabbing my wine glass right now. Let me drink. <laughs> you know, with you know, social media where everybody has an opinion that feels that they need to be heard and then, you know, publications following. I mean, so just how do you how do you balance the balance that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, what is balance? I mean, all right. Well, or manage. How about manage it from a personal yeah, standpoint? Right? Social media balance, right? Yeah. So how do you? <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes tell my friends, look. All right, so I, I started on Twitter about, um, gosh, like about ten years ago, ish, mm. more than that, really. I mean, since since two thousand nine um, or so. And so, like, I've been on Twitter for for a while, and um, I have a whole theory about how me being someone who really liked doing online gaming um, helps me, <laughs> and, like, chat, like, helps me navigate, like, Twitter world in many ways. Um, and I, so I, social media is a double-edged sword because of, for me as, A, as someone who's just intensely curious about people who are different and live in different situations and places than I am. It's been an incredible tool to to be able to honestly meet people. I've I've met so many Mm -hmm. of my my, friends and sources and story ideas or just people who are freaking smart and maybe don't have a place to put their ideas. They put it out onto social media. Um, And so actually my original job at The Post was – I was a social media producer and I was constantly looking for um, new voices and people. And I go back to the, to the meetings and I still do this. I go back to the meetings. I'm like, Hey, here's this person who is not white, not male, but is saying something super smart. Um, We need to, let's try to reach out to them and get their voices in the paper. Mm. So, um, so I did a lot of that. So in that sense, I mean, just the exposure, uh, the possibilities for exposure for different points of view and different types of people. I mean, I, I think when used well, I've learned so much. Um, now the bad side, um, gosh, to be mm-hmm. a black woman in general on the Internet is and to have an opinion actually mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an extreme sport like this is what i tell people uh it just <laughs> it just feels um like and, and you know i i for the most part anybody who's followed me like all these years even since before i've become a journalist i think my um personality and persona is pretty much the same like mm. i i like to think out loud and process with people about in real time about what I think. Um, I think the what's changed is, uh, gosh, you get above a certain maybe audience and you get that little blue check and then all of a sudden it's kind of like mm. you get um, a lot of people who are like, I don't know, 
who are like, shut up, black woman. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I, I I know for a fact that like mm. you know I've I've talked with with colleagues or or male friends, and I'll show them sometimes my mention, and they are shocked mm. at the vitriol of of at oh, the yeah. possibilities for abuse, particularly when you're speaking about race. Um, mm. And you know, obviously, I've been in my share of uh, I don't know. I'll say. Uh, backlash for speaking things that were uncomfortable on social media. Um, Mm. But that being said, I mean, I think that uh, for the most part, you know, I I think pretty carefully about what I do and and, and say. Um, That being said, like, I'm not going to really censor myself you know <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I want to be able to connect with people um again I'm, I'm I'm for everybody who's out there who's like why are you being so biased I'm like I am an opinion journalist and, right and but what I like to do to use social media is, is to connect to different audiences and to um and to have a little bit of fun you'll see me mm. kind of not having my kind of columnist hat on and um, I'm a real person with real feelings with struggles with, I had COVID. I shared about that. I shared about my diagnosis. I've shared about my life and, um, and that's just like my ethos in general for how I do my work. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm experiencing this world just like y'all are. It's just that Mm. I get to, write about it, write it down on, on, for a national newspaper, but I'm figuring it out <laughs> just like mm. everybody else. So social media is a way to kind of, to kind of do that and, and break down this. I'm, I'm not interested in being like, you know, columnist from on high, like mm. my opinion is rarefied air. No, I can be wrong. Like sometimes, I'm, sometimes I look back and I'm like, Ew, that did not age well, but like, no, I'm learning. <laughs> so, so Speaking of that, Have you ever, um, has there ever been a time when like, you know, you went, you were online having like a conversation in, in, in some, in, on whether it's Twitter or whatever, and someone has changed your mind about something that you were, you're like, "Mm, you know, that's a, that's a good point. You know, like, you know, cause to your point, I'm like, everyone on there is, I mean, it's hard to kind of filter through like, a lot of the nonsense, but every now and then somebody will say something. You're like, you know what? You, you, you did make a point. That's, that's not, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. That is a really good question. And not just on social media, but even like on comments and stuff on articles, that is a really good question. Let me think. Um, I think that, uh, Hmm. I mean, I think, um, Maybe I don't change my mind. Yes, I mean I think, or 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 at least encourage me to um, encourage you to maybe learn more about whatever it is. There, yeah. you know. Yeah, I feel like it happens to me a lot. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, okay, here's here's one, um, and it's just something I just didn't really know about or or think about. Um, so with COVID, uh, and I was uh, just in general, I mean, just, just thinking about like, man, 
this is, this is awful. This is, you know, people are at the early stages, people are going on, on ventilators. And I was tweeting a lot about like those oximeters, pulse oximeters Mm. that people, um, yeah, right. And I was like, everyone go and get one. Yeah, everybody ran out and got them and then nobody knew what they were for. Right, right. And, and I remember, you know, people were sharing, um, people were sharing, uh, like tweets to me. They were like, okay, we see what you're trying to do. But like kind of word of caution for for there have been studies saying that with like black people, sometimes some of these medical devices haven't you know been designed all the time to to work mm. for our skin. And um, so with that, it was I was like, oh, wow. OK. And so then I, I started just reading various mm. articles and, and things like that. And. And so then I was like, all right, well, let me like tailor this and and think about like, well, how do I, you know, with the platform I have uh, share like information responsibly. So, you know, I, I, I shared that. I'm like, these devices are still cheap and easy to use and maybe could prevent you from, from Mm -hmm. having a, a serious incident. But here's also more information, just FYI, you know, so so to share that. And I think in general, um, I don't remember the exact tweet, but I just in general, the pandemic made me think about my language around or just thoughts about like disability in general. Mm. Um, and not so much that, you know, that I got like criticism, but it was more so that like maybe disability advocates would come into my mentions and say, we've been talking about how COVID is not just about whether or not you live or die, but a lot of people are, are finding out what it means to be disabled right now. Having chronic mm. fatigue, um, not being able to work and realizing that we're in a society that is not built for uh, non-able-bodied people. And so I think like, having that come through mostly through my social media um, and, and then following these folks who have been advocates for a while, it's like, wow, okay. This just kind of opens up um, how in general we can think about our, our society in in general. Um, So, so yeah, that does, that does happen. That does happen like a good amount. Um, And it's just because, you know, I'm here to, I'm here to learn, like, you know, Mm. Mm -hmm. So, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to 12 Million. Today's guest is Karen Atia, columnist for the Washington Post. So, we're glad she's here with us. So, I was reading one of your latest pieces, um, how the brilliant Andre Leon Talley got sidelined. And there was a comment he made um, that it was very interesting. He made, I never push back for anything. Fold is not a place where you are pushing. And I just so I just wanted to know that how does the, how did that one of the experience of meeting with him and talking mm-hmm. with him, but particularly that comment, how does how did you take that as it relates to your position mm. where you are now? Mm. Yes. Wow, that was a Man. good one. Because <laughs> that's Man. a great quote. quote. Yeah. Uh, so, so for context, um, you know, obviously Andrea uh, Leon Talley, who was the longtime um, creative director at Vogue, who passed away uh, last right. week. 
um, for context, the meeting we had was was because I was interested, you know, a curious little me. I was just interested right. in in finding out why it had taken so long for Vogue to have a black photographer shoot its cover. So that was 2018, mm. and um, there was you know a big. Uh, much to do about the fact that the Beyonce cover for September um, that year was shot by um, Tyler Mitchell. So the first time that they had a black photographer. So knowing that Andre Leontali was part of the higher ranks and that he'd been at Vogue for quite a long time, I was like, how... Why did it take so long? What? And I guess in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, like the, 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 my thoughts behind the question, like, didn't you try? <laughs> right. And I just wanted to hear it from him. So I went to his house in, in New York. And um, I think what I, his answer when I kind of pressed him a little more directly was very much about almost just sort of saying, I didn't have power to do that, basically. Like, that answer, Mm. right? Like, that he was so much, like, this figure and this force. And and even he said it um, himself, and others have said it, he taught Anna Wintour, the current editor, and she's so much of what she knows about fashion. And yet it was like, his answer was like, well, I couldn't be pushy. I couldn't have... You couldn't just say you wanted an all-black thing. I'm like, but for 125 years, they had all-white everything um, for for a, a while. And I guess that that encounter, it, it, it did make me think. Because for me, um, as somebody who is at you know, an institution like the Post or any institution that I've been in, and, and again, maybe it's because, I think about this a lot, maybe in some ways it's because of how I grew up maybe that like I, I I don't know if I really had this sense that you had to be super careful about around white people <laughs> for better or worse I don't know um maybe it's because my parents grew up elsewhere and, and also didn't necessarily have that same sort of legacy um but I think for me, almost literally, I remember coming to the Washington Post and sitting in on an editorial board meeting and knowing there was something, there was a, a really intense, that was the Boko Haram time, you know, the kidnapping with the, of the girls at that time. And I remember coming in and being super militant. It was like, you guys need to do this. <laughs> and, right. and like, you know, and, and, and having my, um, you know, mostly, I, I, I love them all deeply, mostly white, mostly male colleagues kind of looking at me and um and I was I don't know 20 something at the time and they're just kind of like okay you do it (laughs) and I was like all right and I did right um and I think for me like I've always tried to include uh the voices of those who who haven't been included whether it's black whether it's muslim whether it's okay we need a female perspective on a female thing um so for me I guess I, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of pushy, so I just didn't really relate mm. to, to. And he was from a different generation, and I understood that. Uh, but at the same time, it was, hmm, I didn't really hear like, oh, I should have, right. or I wish I did. Um, it was almost like I, I just couldn't. I didn't have power. That was it. Oh well. Right. Um, and that that struck me that that afternoon uh, has been with me for a long time. And as I said in the piece, you know, 
um, how I brought a, an issue of the September issue to him and he was looking through it. And technically, again, he was supposed to be editor at, at large and he was looking through the pages, page by page by page. He's like, where's my name? Right. On um, his story. Yo, I still to the right now as I'm talking about it, I'm just like, I was like, damn. Yeah. That that literally says it all. I mean, wow. Mm I mean, I, wow. Like, wow. Like, you can't say something like that and then we can't follow up on that thought because it is. That's a powerful. That's as powerful as you're gonna get as a statement on you know the places that we as a, as as a people haven't. You know, like if if someone said to me, you know, what's the reason for reparations? What what? Why do you guys need reparations? Mm-hmm. That moment would be on the list. Mm, mm, yeah, gosh, I'm sorry, it would be like number 13 or something. (laughs) And the fact that, like, you know, and it it came, this came out last year, I think. The fact that, um, you know, we were sitting outside on his porch, like, Darren, he didn't own that house. It was, 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 he was, they were trying to, to, to kick him out. And, you know, if you, if you read, I mean, he, his defense was that, well, they gifted it to him. It wasn't, you know, a sort of financial arrangement. It didn't matter. At the end of the day, he didn't even own that house. And I thought a lot about that, like that being, a metaphor for a lot of these institutions. Like, what do we own? What do we right. have? Right. Who's who's charity? Sometimes mm-hmm. are we made to feel like we're existing on? And I I felt like that was just a real wake up call when he was like, I should have built my own. I should have right. had yeah. more of my own brand. I was like, dang. Okay, everybody, go and copyright <laughs> own your ish own right. like yep. just. Because, um, and I remember just thinking, I was like, Andre, I'm sure he did, but it's just in my head, like my thoughts. I was like, where are your black friends? Where's your family? Where's your community? All that time, you would imagine like all the black people in his life would have been going, hey, mm-hmm. you know, you need to step up for yourself. You need to, you know, <laughs> this, the, the story almost sounded like it didn't fit the time that he lived in. It almost fit like, th- like he was telling the story from the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And it's, it was just very, and again, um, he was very, and his, it, I think it's, it's to contrast that with how mm. just brilliant was and honestly how much better he was at the fashion stuff than a lot of the white people he had degrees in and i believe french um literature and that he had studied he had won awards from uh uh from i believe um you know some of the highest orders of 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 france um he was much more sophisticated and elegant than many of the the people who he worked for, right? right. And dependent on. And and again, I, I don't want I, I don't love to feel like you know I'm reducing people who are who are great to just how they were treated by white people. Um, but that being said, it's just I think that there's a new generation now that's like we have to 
be aware. <laughs> we have to realize that like we can um we can put our all in, in, into these uh, institutions um, and everything, but until you build your own, um, you're right. not going to call the call the shots. And and yeah, all the luxury, all the stuff he had in his house, all the Chanel and Tom Ford and Manolo Blana and all that yeah. stuff. And I was, I remember just, I'm sure he loved it, and I loved it being surrounded by it. But for me, I was like, this is a house full of stuff, and right. I'm alone. Yeah. And you're alone. Uh, And so I guess for me to write that, I wanted just to have a snippet, just to give people a snapshot of this, like human, these human moments. um, And for people to take away from that what what they will. Um, And it's possible to be a tale about fashion and elegance, but then also be a cautionary tale, right? About exclusion Mm. and, um, and not finding love, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think it goes back to what you said earlier, it's just being aware. Aware. Right? Awake. Yeah. Awake. Yes. So. And, and I think you said it at the end of the article beautifully when you said, and for all of us, the perils of trying to fit in at all costs into institutions that refuse to see our worth. Mm. How does one deal with that? So I, mean, mm. I think you summed that up beautifully. So, yeah. Yeah. It was such a just a really good article, and and um, you know I, I think the you know I, I, for the last last week or so I've seen people posting on social media little tributes to him and mm-hmm. and stuff, but I and I urge people to read this article um, just on just to, so you have an honest understanding of just how good he was given the restraints and the, the the restrictions um thereof of his career um you know he he deserved he deserved better and hopefully in in the in the in the positive of things we will we will you know have a new respect for him so um, and to your point use this as a lesson of going moving forward. So, um, and speaking of one of your other articles, kind of why books have become a battlefield of Texas. Um, the premise of the show um, was inspired by Richard Wright's book called black, you know, 12 million black voices. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we do on our show, is we ask all our guests, is there a book that you recommend for our listeners? And I know you're you're writing, you wrote a book that's coming out. We'll talk about that shortly. But there's another book that you that you recommend for our listeners. Gosh, I, I think the, the only cruel thing about all of this is I can only pick, <laughs> pick one. Um, I was going to... Uh, so... Just super quickly, right now, what I'm reading is um, oh, The World in Africa by uh, W.E.B. Du Bois um, oh. right now. But my rec- that is, I would recommend it, but my actual recommendation okay. mm. um, is uh, a book that I've, I keep reading over and over again. And anybody who's, who's read my work, I keep coming back to her. Um, and that's Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider, her collection of, of essays. Um, and that book is the book that has the, you know, the, the essay about um, 
uses of anger, right? So this essay about what to do when you're angry about injustice, and particularly for, I think, Black women, um, that it is anger is a natural response to injustice and racism. And so how to channel that? Um, her essay, you know, the, the whole phrase about the master's tools, not uh, dismantling the master's house mm -hmm. contained in those essays. And I just think for these times, I go back to that book a lot for strength and, and inspiration. And even as a writer, she has her essay about how poetry is not a luxury. And um, I think a lot about this when it comes to column writing and even Twitter. And, you know, she speaks about how poetry um, for those who are from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, it's like, we're not given the book deals all the time. We're not given the column inches and, and poetry is for the people. I think she says how they're, uh, they're writing down words on their napkins during their night shifts, like where you're not given a lot of space. So you have to use your words really well. And um, so I, I, I've used that, you know, in, in, in pieces. And, and so I feel like I'm always sneaking references to, to that, to the, the uses of the erotic and really being in touch with, as Black people, our creativity and our desires and separating that from, from the, this Western sense of, of denying, like, what's in us and denying our institution and in our almost like ancestral yearnings, you know? So um, I, I tell that, tell all my friends, all these people to have that book. Like, I just feel like I just, when I just need to be refilled, um, mm. I, I turn to, to that book of book of essays. This is my, this is my favorite part of the podcast. Cause I get to um, stock up on, new good books to read and books that I hadn't heard of. And, I, you know, that sounds like something right up my alley. Actually, I'm going to recommend it to my sister as soon as I talk to her. Absolutely. <laughs> like, especially for black women, especially for black women, because like we talked about before, it's like uh, we are dealing with a white backlash across the country um, the CRT, you know, stuff, book banning, and it just feels like we're taking steps back. And it's yeah. like, I feel like reading Lord, it's like, it gives you permission to be angry, but then a roadmap to channel that anger into some sort of action or into some sort of, of creative thing in order to propel all of us forward. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I, I guess what I hope to do. Um, Amen, to that. Amen to that. And so speaking of books, um, mm -hmm. you, you have a book that's going to come out in July, I believe it is. Soonish. We're, we're, it's probably looking towards the end of the year. Um, okay. COVID. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, indeed. Um, I'm in, in, uh, hopefully, you know, final stages of, um, finishing a, a book that's been <laughs> a, a story um, that's been with me for the last four years. Um, mm. I'm sure, you know, a good amount of people heard about uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist that I um, hired actually to work with the Post and who was oh murdered God. in um, 2018. And mm. so 
I, uh, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I did what I could to to try to seek justice and, and awareness, at least what I thought justice and awareness looked like at the time. And um, so, yeah, this book is just, again, my little piece of my little piece of the, the, the story. The story is so much bigger than than even what I could do, but just a little piece of what it's like, the human side of like people see things on the news and see people appearing on TV. And, um, but the reality is behind the scenes, it was just a bunch of people who were thrust into this impossible situation. Right. And, um, and, and yeah, uh, again, um, questioning the systems that made it so that, a man who worked for the Washington Post could be butchered abroad and nothing, not nothing, but the system goes on in many ways. And, and, but what it's like to try to try, I think that's what all that matters is that one tries to do something um, about it. So that's, that's what it is. Um, Yeah. Say your word and leave um, is, is the book. So I'm really, uh, you know, uh, hoping to to share it with everyone soon, and 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 again, just like with column writing or, or tweets, even the book itself is a process of me mm. trying to learn, and 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 just my friendship with this this man right. who came into my life. You know, right. so the one thing about um, writing a book, I, I, I think, is um, is it's hard. <laughs> hard. It's hard. You know, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's both hard and therapy at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to when this comes out, to be honest. I, I want to, I definitely want to read this because even just, just looking at online, some of what, you know, um, what was on Amazon and stuff. Uh, even in just the statement was stuff that I didn't even know about, which was like blew my mind. So it just makes me want to read the whole book because like, I feel like sometimes to your point, there's stuff that happens behind the scenes that really tells truth to, to the, and, and, you know, I'm a big believer that I don't like making statements about things. If I'm not fully informed, you know, I don't form opinions about things, or at least if I do, I keep it to myself until I have more information. And um, I, you know, I know about bits and pieces through the media, like you said. Yeah. I feel like I would like to read this book because since from someone who is closer to it and 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 is understanding more of you know, the, the, what transpired behind the scenes. So I thank you for writing this, writing this book. And we're going to look forward to uh, telling people about this. Thank you. I appreciate that. We want you to keep fighting the good fight. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I'm sure people have seen like literally just what two months ago I was actually like in a movie type fight and competition and um, yes, yeah, exactly right. So what I saw that. Is, like that is dope. So <laughs> when, when, did, when did you get into movie? Like when did you get into all that? 
Oh man, this is this even this. I'm working. I'm working on an essay about this. I mean, I I've probably been. First of all, I think I've been wanting to be a Power Ranger since like 1993 <laughs> in general. Like I was like, there needs to be a black woman Power Ranger. You can make me purple. Like I just remember being a kid and and just being really interested in in um, martial arts and um and I took mm-hmm. up boxing when I was in college and kind of fell in love with it. Um, I, I wanted to go to the Golden Gloves. Like, I don't know. I just don't really do anything like 50%. Clear. Oh, it's all the way, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I started in maybe around 2016 in D.C. and and fell in oh, love with it. Um, and I just always had this dream of like, oh, I just want to step into the ring. Like, just once. I want to know like what that like experience is like when you're standing across from somebody who wants to like separate your soul from your body and you want to try to do the same like what is that like so um so yeah i trained really hard went through fight camp um dieting like uh the whole like process and finally you know got to make that that dream come true so it just says like doesn't matter how old you are I'm old enough (laughs) but I still was like you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try you know win or lose like you know I yeah I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try so um yeah so uh, and also started in DC when I was in um seventh eighth grade I think it was eighth grade took took Tang Sudo and uh and um haven't looked back. I've taken a few different arts, and but not, not. I'm not nearly close to you, so you know. Um, oh well, if these like Twitter trolls like actually try to come for me and we're alive, I'm still calling so you. you. Gotta... Yeah, you know, or like if the apocalypse comes and we gotta fight people for toilet paper again, like. Put like, <laughs> Karen on my speed dial. For like, no, I'm building my apocalypse team. You know, like exactly right. Black Seal Team Six. <laughs> exactly right. Have you? Did you? Uh, did you uh, get to see um, uh, Bruised at all yet? I did. I did. I saw that the weekend. I haven't it seen out. it. Don't tell me, but I want to. Yeah. I, I got to see it because it looks really good. You should see it. And then yeah, we should you talk. Should. I, have, I have lots yeah. of thoughts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, no, good. Th- yeah. I mean, I just. I, I she see. Thoughts, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad. I want there to be like more, more women. Like, I just think. I don't know. I, my personal opinion is I really like watching women fighters, UFC fighters, and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sevchenko, who plays oh, the yeah. final character. Like, she's just such a beautiful fighter in real life. And, like, the scene where she's fine, I don't know. It's just it, that part is, like, really great. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of more women getting into like Absolutely. defense combat sports just learning how to use use your body and feel strong and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of women's sports generally like my my big thing i'm like huge fan like even bigger fan than the knicks i'm a big fan of like the, like um yukon women's basketball 
Love oh, them. yeah. Love oh, them. I was too. Like, I still remember the days of, like, Diana Taurasi, yeah. like, when she was playing for UConn. I, yeah, I played basketball in, in school, too. And I was like, man, that's so cool. Women's sports. I used to coach women's basketball. And okay. I played men's basketball. And I used to tell – I told I, – someone said, why don't I ever coach men's basketball? I said, there's one difference between men and women, that, and this is why I, I will coach women. Because women actually listen to what you got to say. <laughs> when, you're, when you're when the coach is actually playing stuff, they're actually paying yeah. attention. They're not over here looking in the stands and checking their phone. So, you know, um, I agree. This was this was. Uh, I, I'm so glad you got to come on the podcast. Definitely, definitely, and we definitely want to bring you back. So, we oh, definitely would love, love to, to bring you back. Yeah. When the when the book comes out, you should come back. Yes, yeah. sir. I would love to talk about the I book would, and just other opinion. Yeah, before you come back anyways. Yeah, I have I, I have a clearly like a, a lot of a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. But no, I, I would love that you guys and, and thank you so much for, for actually your really great questions. I'm like, dang, I gotta wow, I'm not used to being I'm not used to being interviewed. So it's like, oh wow, I gotta think about that. Okay. Yeah, well so we knew great. we were coming in here to interview someone who views so Oh, we wanted to have our game on. So, so. <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, um, thank you for being on. Everyone, um, please check Karen out on Instagram. Um, you can find her at Karen Tia on Instagram and um, Akbar. Oh, and you're on Twitter as well. Actually, go on Twitter because her, her Twitter is fire. Um, <laughs> get me in trouble like if i ever get in real trouble i'm gonna help make y'all start the gofundme but yeah twitter's oh. my weapon of choice oh, good trouble right good trouble <laughs> good right? trouble John Wayne's good trouble yeah yes. and you can find us on the 12 million show at on Instagram and and now Twitter. We're on Twitter now. So we'll be following you closely to watch all what's going on there and to learn more about everything that you're doing. Um, I guess that wraps it up for us. I am Darren Jenkins. I'm Aquamajee. And this was 12 million. Stay up, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.